Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. As many of you know, we have been in a series on uh, this month called The Big Story that is concentrated upon the story of the Bible, the big story of the Bible. Though it's comprised of many stories, there is a big story that is being written from Genesis to Revelation. And that, in essence, is the story of redemption. And we want to conclude that today. I'm going to talk to you this morning about forever set free, forever set free. We can pray today and then you may be seated. Lord Jesus, I thank you this morning. I pray, oh, Lord God, for your anointing, Lord Jesus, and your spirit, Lord, to be up on our lesson today. God, in this place, you have to minister, Lord, to each and every heart. God, I pray, oh, Lord, as we would lean in, God, to your word and the words, God, of Scripture. God, that we can draw comfort from, instruction and guidance from. I pray, oh, Lord, be with your people today, Lord Jesus, as we would hear, God, Lord, that we could apply it to our same lives. In the name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen. Everyone say amen. 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 You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. The big story today, again, we are concluding with forever forever set free in this big story of course we have learned that uh, the Lord wanted to have a relationship with mankind that was that was first seen in the Garden of Eden that was also first broken in the Garden of Eden and ever since that time of the Garden till New Testament Scripture God was in pursuit of healing somehow mending that relationship although he was not the one that broke it he constantly tried to heal that And so when we get into the New Testament scripture, we understand that that same spirit that brooded over the face of the waters in Genesis. The Bible says the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. That the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The same spirit that brooded over the face of the waters in the beginning was also there in New Testament scripture in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. During creation, though, the spirit moved or took the place, if you will, of darkness. But that spirit now in the New Testament scripture, where it once had moved upon the waters, now it desired to move within the people, making them a new creation. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, the apostle Paul writes, he says, therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In the beginning, the spirit moved. And after it moved, the Bible says, God said, let there be light. And there was light. So not long after the moving of the spirit, the light followed. Amen. And so whenever God in the New Testament scripture, God who John 4 tells us is a spirit, Whenever he came, as we're celebrating this holiday season, whenever he came in a manger, and Matthew says his name would be Emmanuel or God with us, that spirit with us in Bethlehem's manger. Whenever he came to the earth, the light also came. John 1 and verse number 4 says, Speaking of that child, speaking even more particularly of the spirit in that child, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, 
and the darkness comprehended it not. It's amazing, isn't it? That darkness has no competition in reality with light. As a matter of fact, when you look at different translations of the Bible for verse number 5, and it says that the darkness comprehended it not, several of them speak of it like this, that the darkness did not overcome the light. The darkness has not overcome the light. The darkness may not have understood the light, but the darkness did not master the light. It says that the darkness can never extinguish the light, that it did not overwhelm the light, that it did not put out the light. The light that came in the child Christ Jesus is a light that cannot be extinguished, that cannot be put out, that cannot be mastered or overcome. I like the tense of the verb because it changes in John. It says basically that he was the light that shined, but later it describes him that he is the light that continues to shine. He's a continually shining light. He's not like a candle that only has so much wax to absorb in its wick and then it goes out. He is a light that once it has started, it knows no ending and it has no beginning. He is the eternal light. Jesus said in the scriptures, that as long as he was in the world, that he was the light of the world. But the moment that he ascended after his resurrection and he would come back on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, described as the comforter or described as the Holy Ghost to dwell in the lives of his people, the Bible says he spoke to them also and said, then ye are the lights of the world. And he promised his disciples, he promised those that would follow him this, that if we would and when we would follow him, we would exchange a life of walking in darkness for a life that would be walking in light because he would be the light in our lives. Now here's the difficulty this morning, ladies and gentlemen. Some people oppose the light because light is revealing, right? It illuminates, that's what we want it to do at least. It illuminates the darkness in our own lives. It shows us that we may have went wrong or it shows what has been going on in the dark. You ever walked into a dark room where your kids have been playing and you heard something crash and you go in there and you turn the light on, it reveals what has been going on in the dark. It shows things as they really are. That's the reason why John 3, 19 spoke it as this. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. Speaking of Christ Jesus. And men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. In other words, there were some things that had been going on or taking place that whenever the light came, it gave revelation and it revealed everything that had been taking place in the dark. So there was some that would rather have the darkness. Why? So that they could keep cloaked in the darkness what had taken place in the darkness. Because no one likes to be exposed. I think all of us, to a certain degree, would rather mask our mistakes and cover our less than desirable areas of our lives. But light reveals, as a matter of fact, it reveals, according to Scripture, every evil deed. And what that does for us is this. It forces us to own what's been done in the dark time. But I would like to submit to you today that our greatest tactic against darkness is to become what Christ was or rather what he is and that is light again as long as Christ was in the world he was the light 
as long as he was the man that walked upon the earth, he was the light. But when he ascended into the heavens, when he went away and those angels were standing there gazing up into the sky, his plan then was for this, that mankind would be the light in the world. The Bible talks about the spirit of Christ. It talks about the spirit of Jesus. And though the man Christ Jesus had gone, the spirit of Christ was still readily available. And we know that from Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. It was readily available at Pentecost. From that day forward, the spirit of Christ is available to each and every individual that lives here upon the earth. And the Bible tells us that when we receive the spirit of Christ, once again, that spirit of Christ is upon the earth in you and in me. And therefore, we become the light because the light is in us. And so that's the reason why scripture says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify who your father which is in heaven. Because every individual that knows even maybe a portion of scripture understands we have no light in ourselves. But the light that we bear and the light that we shine is a light that comes from another place and another land. It's his light that's going through our lives. But it's important today so we can be those lights. God's spirit is that light. And God's spirit is for each and every one of us. Someone say it's for me. The Bible says in Acts 2, 38 and 39, then Peter said unto them, this was his response after preaching the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is his response to those that posed the question, what shall we do? Because they felt guilty of being involved and being the hand that put the nails in his, in his feet and his hands. They felt guilty. They want to know what shall we do? This was his response. Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost or the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. If you look at verse 39, he says for the promise, that promise is referring back to the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit that Peter spoke of. Likewise, in Acts 1 and verse 4, the Bible says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. Verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Not many days hence. Again, there is a tie of the promise of the Father with the Holy Ghost. It's referring to the Holy Ghost. And Acts 2.39 tells us who that was for. Again, it's for every individual. It's unto you and your children and to those that are afar off. As many as the Lord our God shall call. You say, well... Pastor McGee, I've never had God call me. Well, he may have not made a direct call, but he has made a general call to everyone. The Bible says in Revelations 22, verse 17, the closing of the Bible, some of the closing verses of the scripture, he's going to make another call before he closes out the scripture as we have it. And it says in verse 17, and the spirit, everybody say the spirit, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will. 
You can't get any more general than that. Whosoever will, let him take of the water of life. He's closing out the book. But the Spirit of Christ is rising up even in those final hours of closing out the book. And he wanted to make one last declaration. Whosoever, man, woman, Jew, Gentile, Samaritan, nationality matters not, ethnicity matters not, whosoever will, let him come. What are you saying? He's made the call. He's made the call to you. And he's made the call to me. Now, we need to debunk something today that I think sometimes gets in the minds of people that then have received the, the life and the light of Christ. And that is this. The path of every believer is not without conflict. Someone says, you ain't telling me nothing. I don't know. But seriously, the path of the believers is not without conflict. The Apostle Paul in Acts 14, verse 22, the Bible says, confirming the souls of the disciples. Acts 14, 22. Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. And that we must through much tribulation. Which tribulation that's used here is just a word for meaning trouble, trial. Through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. We must, everybody say must. So I hate to be the bearer of bad news here in the Christmas season. But the fact of the matter is this. Our entrance into the kingdom requires passing through a very large door, metaphorically, of trial and testing and tribulation. And here's the fact of the matter, according to Scripture, there is no other alternative. He says we must. This must happen. It's not that we're going to go through some tribulation. That's not the words that are used here. Or a little bit of trouble. That's not the word used. It says much. Someone says, I know what much means. <laughs> much tribulation. But our only consolation is this, ladies and gentlemen, is that God is with us. The Bible says, Psalmist David said in Psalms 46, said he is a very present help in trouble. Or if you will, he is a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Most all the disciples, if you think back to their lives, that group of 12 disciples, you think back to their lives, all of them believers, but all of their lives, the majority of them ended them as martyrs, dying for the cause of Christ. Even leading up to the finality of, of death in their life, their lives were riveted and pinpointed with persecution after persecution. Saul in the book of Acts, whose name was changed to Paul. Saul in his beginning had a clouded belief in God and he persecuted anybody that opposed God or opposed God being the one true God. But as a man later with a revelation, Saul being changed to Paul, understanding that God was in the man Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself. Paul then as a result of all this now having been the persecutor became the persecuted person. You want to talk about conflict? He understood conflict but it was necessary and it was important for the purpose of getting to the kingdom of God. Your story may not be his story because five times the Bible says he received 39 stripes on his back. 
Three times he was beaten with rods and one time he was stoned until the people had thought he was dead. Three times he suffered shipwreck at sea a night and a day he spent there. The Bible said all kinds of perils that he found himself in and perils even the Bible says of his own countrymen and in perils among false brethren. So he understood conflict. Much tribulation though. He was going to enter into the kingdom of God. But whenever you read everything that Paul went through Listen to how he viewed all of this in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 17. This is the Apostle Paul, the one that just had that great list of conflict and persecution and heartache. He says, for our light affliction. Wait a minute. Three shipwrecks, five times, 39 stripes. What's stoned to death? And you're calling this a light affliction? He says, this light, our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So what is called in Acts 14, 22, what is called much tribulation, the apostle Paul calls our light affliction because indeed tribulation is a must and trouble is a must and trial is a must and it's much but it's only for a moment the trade-off is not much glory though but it's more exceeding glory eternal glory so what happens in a moment can't snuff out what will happen for eternity with you when you have Christ a part of your life amen amen and so the Bible through the pages is filled with conflict that tried or even attempted to stamp out the family tree of Jesus Christ. Many times only a remnant was left. Other times, you read in the Old Testament, in his family tree, sometimes it was just a solitary child that was safeguarded from being murdered that kept his family tree intact from being broken. Even after he is born as a small child, what? The angel of the Lord came to Joseph and said, what? Joseph, you need to get your family and take them down to Egypt. And by doing so, they escaped the murderous hand of Herod. Conflict, persecution. But in our big story, the surprise twist that happens is this, and we touched on it just a little bit last week. The surprise twist of our big story is this, is whenever the hero of the story is executed. Nobody likes it in a movie or a book when the hero, the main character, dies. No one expects the hero to die. As a matter of fact, in their culture of the New Testament, that, that Greek system, the Hellenization system, that Greek system, their Greek tragedies and Greek plays in their culture and time, for them, when the hero died, the story was over. So you got to realize what's going through the mind in the real world scenario here. Their story, their, their, their hero has died. So in the minds of everybody that follows any type of drama or literature of their age in their mind, the story's over. But the twist of our story, of the big story is this. Although the hero dies, you just wait three days because the hero is also rising from the dead. And not just doing that, but now then commissioning those that followed him and walked with him. Commissioning them to do what? To invite others to be a part of the grand story of redemption. The grand story of being lost, but then being found. Of the grand story yes. 
of being afar, but now being nigh. Listen to the words, if you will, of the resurrected hero. Listen to the words of Jesus Christ, Mark 16, 15. He said unto them, his disciples, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Wait a minute, society, the hero's not dead. I know you see him hung his head on the cross and he said, Father, to thy hands I commit my spirit. But this doesn't sound like a dead man to me. This doesn't sound like a defeated man to me he is commissioning he is saying go he's saying preach he's saying share the gospel he's alive and well and the light cannot be extinguished and so what can we learn then about the big story of scripture the big story of scripture teaches me this that God is a sovereign creator and he is a sovereign ruler the peculiar thing about God is that he subjected himself as a character in his own storyline. New Testament calls him the author and the finisher. But he also subjected himself as a character in his own storyline. And he's the author and the finisher of the story. Brother McGee, he's the author and the finisher of the story. He's the author and the finisher of my story. No, wait. Before you just throw your hands up and say, well, what's the use then? If he's the author and the finisher, then I really have no control over this. I really have no power over the pen then that's being put to the page. But folks, we learned early on in this series, and we learned from Scripture, from even the very beginning, the Garden of Eden forward, that God has never left mankind without a choice. I'm not, I don't know if they still publish books like these today, but they probably do. Nonetheless, at one time, I remember you could buy books that had alternative endings. Alternative endings. During the story of reading the book, it would come to the end of a chapter or a certain place in the book, and it might have a question or it would have a choice to be made. And based upon the answer to the question or based upon your choice, you were then taken in the book to a corresponding page based upon your choice and answer to pick up the storyline. Meaning that each choice in that book along the way had the possibility of altering the ending of the story. Based upon the choices, based upon the answers, you could come to a different outcome than had you made a different choice along the way in the book. Can I tell you this morning that based upon our choices, living in this real world based upon our choices, God can translate our lives to, if you will, a corresponding page in a new chapter in our life huh? that can alter how this story ends. Hallelujah. It's like coming to a fork in the road. You go left, it's going to end up one way. You go up right, it's going to have a total different ending. But it's all based upon which direction you go at the fork in the road. He's the author and the finisher, but he allows us to have choices along the way of the storyline. In reality, if I tell you this morning, we really only have two alternate endings in our lives. But the choices we make determine what the outcome of the ending is. 
How in the world can that be possible? I tell you how it's possible. We see it in scripture. That's how the Bible says there can be a naked demonic man that lived among the tombs. The Bible says he cut himself, right? This is his story. But later, because of choices, he can be found sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. That's how a lady who is known as an adulterer caught in the very act of adultery, who had had five husbands brought to the Lord, right? Brought to the Lord as a sinner, but she leaves from his presence as the forgiven. That's how there can be an alternate ending to your story. Amen. Now we're going to go way back here. We're, we're going to delve over into something very spiritual. Disney. <laughs> There's probably a lot of truth to that in many contexts, but nevertheless, years, and this is years ago. This is an old, old Disney movie, if anybody's a Disney movie buff. But there was the Disney movie uh, concerning Pinocchio. Anybody remember that? Some of you that are more mature in age probably have a better hold on some of those things. And I'm not looking at my sister Paula for any purpose or reason. But in the story of Pinocchio, Geppetto the cobbler makes a wooden puppet called Pinocchio. And Pinocchio is at the mercy of his creator. But in the storyline, Pinocchio is given lifelike abilities, although he is a wooden puppet. As the story goes, this is probably what we remember most about the Pinocchio story is that each time that he lies, his nose grows long. It'd be interesting to see that in real life today, society. <laughs> but nevertheless, his nose grows long. And then he is, Pinocchio is lured by the coachman to a place called Pleasure Island. And it is a place that is described in the movie where kids can do whatever they please. They can eat whatever they want to eat, drink whatever they want to eat or, or drink. Uh, there are certain things even mentioned there. They can have ice cream, dill pickles, beer, cigarettes, cigars. They can pick fights just for fun. They can be destructive. They can do whatever they want. And so Pinocchio goes to this place and Pinocchio starts to turn into a donkey because they say that's what happens to bad boys. That's what they say, bad boys turn into donkeys. And so he's starting to turn into a donkey. He has donkey ears. He has a donkey tail. He, even when he starts to laugh, begins to bray like a donkey. And ultimately, Pinocchio dies in the story. Finally, he dies not for the bad because he does something good. He dies for doing something good. And then he's brought back to life. And when he's brought back to life, he's brought back to life as a real boy with real flesh and real blood. And Geppetto, the cobbler from the story, said this concerning Pinocchio. He said, when bad boys become good, he said, their looks change along with their lives. You know what he's saying? Choices create and allow for alternative endings. And the author... And the finisher of our faith has the ability to rewrite our story. The big story of Scripture, from what I learned in many respects, is the story that we want to pattern after as a church. 
our mission statement summed up in four words is basically this. Love, win, equip, send. And when I understand that, Brother Fred, and thinking about the overall big picture of the big story, that was his purpose, to love them, to win them, to equip them, and commission and send them back out. God loved us. He won our hearts. He won our respect, not because he had to, but because he knew the stubbornness of mankind. Uh huh. He's equipped us to go back into the world, the mission field, if you will, as ambassadors for him, as representatives. He wants us to be the light that he was. And he wants us to replicate, if you will, his mission in our present day world. Solomon said this in, in, in Ecclesiastes. Solomon said that God set eternity in our hearts. He said eternity in our hearts. God desires eternal life for us and eternal life with him in so much that when he created mankind, he placed eternity in the heart of man. God gave John, John the Revelator, a vision of an eternal hope that was to come. In Revelation, John painted a picture of an eternal rest in heaven. The Bible describes it that he saw a number that no man could number. It was innumerable. The Bible describes it as ten thousands upon ten thousands, and it's not meant for you to multiply that together and get a number. It's just meaning a lot, an innumerable number from every nationality, from every race and creed that were bowing before the throne of God. And John, those believers, John saw entering into their reward, the Bible said had come through much tribulation. And they stood before the throne of God. The Bible describes them as spotless because they had been washed in the blood, the Bible says, of the Lamb. Their reward, John described as a promise that gives Christians of every age, of every generation hope. And this is my text I wanted to read to you earlier. Of Revelations chapter 7 and verse 15. The Bible says, Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living waters, living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all, their, all tears from their eyes. What we have here is a picture in heaven. Here is people, the hardships they have went through things that have caused them to weep, things that have caused them to hunger, things that have caused them to cry because they lived in a fallen world as we live in a fallen world. They have went through all of that, but whenever they enter heaven, whenever they enter that place of eternal bliss, the Bible says God will dry all our tears and we will never have another reason to cry again. So you want to talk about much tribulation? That's all right. There's a drying time that's coming. There's a time that God will wipe away 
every tear. You, you're talking about heartache and, and defeat and sometimes lack and sometimes physical pain and sometimes health issues that are insurmountable. That's all right. There's coming a time when there's not going to be another health issue and the ones that you had are going to be corrected. That when you lack, now you're going to have an abundance. That's all right. That's much tribulation then, but I'm talking about never having another reason to cry. I'm talking about eternity. You say, well, I got daily struggles here in the world. and There's times I've hungered and there's times that I've worked and there's times that I've coped with things that just to survive just day to day. That's all right. There's coming to the day that survival, amen, of the fittest is no longer going to exist because you will be as he is because you've received the spirit of Christ. The lamb will take care of you. The blood will wash you and you will be covered for all eternity. Amen. The program that God has is not a patch system. Now, whenever we were kids, five kids, okay? Five kids, limited income, small house, one bathroom. You understand it. Always used to say, yeah, we had walk-in closets, but we called them, we called them, uh, what was it, hokey pokey closets. You put your right foot in and you took your right foot out. (laughs) That's as much as a walk-in we had. Amen. Growing up, man, you, I was hard on pants. Maybe that's the reason why my son is. And You get hose in the knees. Whenever that happened growing up, mom got out what was called a patch. Consequently, the patch didn't, wasn't always denim. may have a pattern with the girls' old dresses in it. I don't know. It was <laughs> Patch it up, sew it up, and go on, bucko. You know? Well, thank God in the economy of heaven, we're, and in the economy, it's not a patch system. It's old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. It's that you're not having to carry on what you had, but you're going to be restored with something better than what you had. So you don't have to fear losing anything. You need to concentrate upon what you are gaining. In, this is not a patch system. Kind of bitter over that, Mom. No, it's okay. It's okay. But even far better than that, what do we have for all eternity? The very thing that Adam and Eve had in the garden in the beginning. Communion with God. Forever. Revelation 7.15 in the New King James Version says it like this. He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. It's powerful when you think about it. He who sits on the throne. You know, as we're down here, many times we have this concept and idea of God. Oh, he's so far. He's away. He's la-di-da. Which, although that's not true, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's right with each and every one of us in our day-to-day events. But the Bible just kind of puts it in plain language right there. He who sits on the throne, even if that's our concept or idea of God, of just someone sitting on a throne, he's going to dwell among us for all eternity. What a hope that should put in our hearts, in your hearts. And so as John perhaps pinned that line, because, you know, this is what the Scripture told him to do, get out and write. In the Revelation 1, get out and write all these things that you see in here. And he writes this, who sits on the throne shall dwell among them. Perhaps as he's writing that line, he thinks all the way back to the first scene, the first act of the big story. How Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden 
God would come down in the cool of the day and walk with them. And perhaps he's sitting back for a moment and thinking, it's all going to become as it was in the beginning. The relationship's going to be mended. The fellowship's going to be restored. And we're going to once again, total eternal access to God. And if I may this morning, be set free from the bondages of sin and this life forever. If you can stand with me this morning. I'll admit to you today that there are, there are episodes and scenes in my own life and perhaps all of our lives that I wish if I were capable, I could turn back the page of the book, just a few pages or chapters, and amend that portion of the story. The fact of the matter is none of us have the ability. None of us have the ability to turn back the pages and amend a part of the story. But what you do have within your control is how the rest of the story, how the rest of the story is written. All of my flub ups and all of my mistakes, in essence, it's just what my story ends up being when it's all said and done. But I'm in a great position today. You are in a great position today. And I want you to hold on to this. Your story is unfinished. Your story, it has not went to the publishers yet. It's not up on the shelves to be, to be uh, viewed and browsed through. No, your story is not yet finished. And so you have the ability to decide, if you will, by choices and decisions, how we're going to complete this story. If we embow our heads in this place this morning, I'm talking to every individual under the sound of my voice today. The big story that we have been concentrating on this month is the story of redemption. Man could not redeem himself. Man could not get himself out of his trouble or away from his sin. It took a sacrifice in order to do that. No other human being upon the earth could give their life for another and it be sufficient. It be what was needed or required in order for that to be made sufficient. But whenever God in heaven from the very beginning of time understood by his foreknowledge that man was going to make a mistake, that man was going to have some hardship and man was going to make some choices and decisions that was going to get himself in a mess. Whenever God had the foreknowledge, he also already made a plan that he would come down in the form of a man. He would come down as a relative to mankind and become the perfect sacrifice with the perfect blood that was necessary to, the Bible says, remit and remove all of our sins. He would become the catalyst in order to change and alter our stories based upon our decision and our choice to follow the Lord. So I'm talking to everybody in the sound of my voice today. If you've come to a juncture in the road that you're like the story that's been written thus far, it is good and it is great, but I feel like there's some choices that I can make at this chapter in my life that will help alter the rest of my story. I want you to know that God is here this morning and he's willing to meet you right where you 
are to help alter the ending of your story because he's not just the author, but he is also the finisher of your faith. Redemption is for you today. If those that will, can the church begin praying this morning, begin talking to God because I feel the presence of the Lord in this place. I feel that spirit of Christ in this place, that inextinguishable light amen that's here this morning wants to shine into our lives and through our lives if you've never known God today if you've never never repented of your sins it would be a good thing this morning say God I'm eager and willing today for the rest of my story to be different than what it started out as I'm asking oh God today that you would be the finisher Lord of the story of my life God I pray oh Lord this morning I need Lord an alteration I need change I need a Lord a changing of venue a changing of direction oh God Lord I submit myself to you I know God there will be hardship I know God that there will be moments of difficulty but I understanding I'm going to trade those moments of difficulty someday God for the eternal Lord Jesus glory of heaven the eternal Lord Jesus relationship God that I can have with you all throughout eternity oh God we need you this morning to today. God, let your spirit, Lord, invade our lives. Let your spirit, oh God, invade our lives. God, we need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. God, dispel the darkness and be the light of life, Lord Jesus, in us today. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.